Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is marathoner Kim Clark, better known as Track Club Babe on the interwebs. Now, one of the things that I admire most about Kim is not that she went from running a 608 marathon to a 311 marathon over the course of her running career so far, but that over the time that she has been running and not running, taking time off for a variety of reasons and coming back is that she continues to believe in herself and have a relentless positive outlook on the days that are yet to come, no matter where she currently is in her training journey. So this conversation is about taking time off, when, how, why you would or need to take time off, and then how to keep believing in yourself during the entire process. Kim, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to be here. So you have to answer this question like all of my guests do, but it's such an integral part of our conversation today. Kim, how did you become a runner? So I became a runner. I've always wanted to be a runner. My dad was a runner and he um, he ended up having the world record for the marathon in his age group at one point because he ran three marathons at 12 years old in Wisconsin many, many years ago. And so their town had a sign with his name on it saying like world marathon record holder. But so I was just like, and I actually didn't know that until just this last year. But um, when I was a kid, he had told me, oh, I ran marathons. And so I would like wear his marathon shirts around. And in my mind, I was a runner. I just hadn't done it yet. And so then when I was a senior in high school, I didn't play any sports before. My sport was studying. And um, I... Wanted to, I had wanted to play sports, but no other teams let me on. So I was like, I'm going to go and do cross country. And there was only, I was the third girl on the team. So they definitely needed me. Um, and, and so I started cross country with the team. I went from not running to doing um, like 10 to 12, 13 miles a day. And like, it broke my body. It was horrible. It like, I had, my, my feet were crazy you know, with all the blisters, I had the worst shin splints that turned into stress fractures. It was, I was just a total mess. And, um, but I like, wouldn't stop. Cause I'm like, runners don't quit, <laughs> which is also like a bad <laughs> mentality to have with running because you, you shouldn't run through pain, but I didn't know anything. I was 17, I was 17. And, um, so I just ran for that one year at the end of that year. And, and I was terrible. Like I was obviously very injured, very overtrained, had no idea what I was doing. And so, you know, I would just go out there and who knows what was going on, but I had no idea what I was doing. At the end of the year, a guy in my class, like I was telling him, I'm going to run a marathon and be just like my dad. He's like, you can never do one of those. They're really long. He's like, and he knew how bad I was at cross country. So this wasn't like he saw any potential or talent. So there was a marathon that weekend and I went to the expo and signed up for it. And um, I just went out there and I somehow was able to run the first 17 miles, like without stopping, um, and run them like, you know, in the running motion, who knows what pace I was running. But then after that, it was like, I was going from aid station to aid station. It was like, 
a tour of aid stations until I finished and like my, my knees wouldn't bend. It was just awful. And I, so I finished the race. I was just so proud of myself. I was so proud of myself. I recently just wrote the other day, like I didn't know what time I ran until I started running again later because like it was totally irrelevant to the fact that I accomplished a marathon. And at 17, like no one was running marathons. So to me, that was like, that was the thing, not time or anything like that. It was just like, could I even do this distance? And I just was so, I mean, I was so happy I did it, but my body was obviously totally broken after an untrained marathon. And I retired at 17 from marathon running. Um, And I always had in the back of my mind, oh, you, you could be a runner one day. Like, it's just that you didn't train the right way or whatever. And so I always wanted to try to run again. I did think that I would always have shin splints if I ran. And that was just like my thing. Like I always get shin splints. And so I just, you know, it was like conflicting things. I wanted to be a runner, but I was an injured runner. So I didn't think I could ever do it. So then um, 10 years later for the 10 year anniversary, I was like, it would be really cool to do another marathon, like, and do that same one. And just see if I can do a little bit faster because my original time was six hours and eight minutes. And um, then I ended up signing up for a, um, a track club group because I was just like, I had tried to start running in the 10 years, in that 10 year period. I had multiple times, like maybe gone out for one run, you know, and then was sore and then never ran again for like three more years. And that's just kind of how it was. It was like one run. And I was excited about it and then just flatlined and it never caught on and I never could make it happen. Um, And so then I was just like, I mean, I need to figure out a way to put roots in this (laughs) and actually make this into something. So I was like, I better sign up for something. So I feel very compelled and some type of urgency and I need to get some training. I need somebody to help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I signed up for San Diego Track Club and that's how I'm a runner now. <laughs> and I love this. I love this story because I feel like the, for every runner, and I feel this way too, like I didn't start running seriously until I was in my late twenties and it started, you know, the same thing. Like I would go out for two or three miles at a time, like clutching my iPod and then like yeah. covered in sweat and then like not run for three months, you know, yeah. <laughs> be like, no, but I can still run. Um, and then, and then finding the sport and like finding this thing that is kind of like you, you were a runner the whole time. Yeah. You just hadn't like uncovered it yet. Figured it out, you know? And I feel like that that's like how, so it is for so many people. Like they are an even better runner than they know. And they have so much more potential than they know, but like they haven't figured out the little things you need to put into place for it to just all click. Like you're not an injured runner. You are a consistent runner. You just don't know how to be that yet. And it just has to like all click. What was the biggest mind shift or thing that you learned when you rediscovered running and were training for that second marathon that you were like, oh, so that's how this should be done? Yeah, I think just, I think it's really important to have community in order to establish something, you know, because me trying to do it myself a couple of times as a lone wolf obviously didn't work. I never, in those 10 years that I like was trying to reintroduce running again, it just never, never worked for me. So especially for newer runners, I think finding community and, and learning from them and having some type of accountability or motivation or excitement to see running friends, I think that's really important. It'll, that gives it more staying power. Um, you know, 
by yourself, it's so much easier to give up. You don't know what you're doing. So everything feels a little bit more overwhelming. Um, but you know, find having mentors and like the track club puts all the new runners with a mentor. And so, I mean, my mentor was like 65 year old Walker. And, but I was like, every week I like look to her for all of my instruction. Like, I was like, tell me what I need to be doing. And then at one point she was like, I think we've gone past where I'm able to help you here. And so I need to pass you off to somebody because, I mean, because she was running um, like six and a half hour marathons and she just felt like I was better placed in somebody else's hands. But for me, she was my leader, you know, (laughs) and everybody needs some type of mentor to help them and to figure out everything. So today we're really focusing on how to, how to stage a comeback and every single runner, probably at least once, if not more times in their running career is going to need to take some time off, whether it's for a couple weeks and maybe a planned break because of a race or a, you know, a vacation to sometimes months or years away from the sport. And I want to like very up, be upfront. This is normal. And if you need to take time off, you should do it because I've had to take time off. I know you've had to take time off. And I just like, let's reassure people that life happens and it's okay if this happens to you. Yeah. I think it's really, you know, I, I see in the running community that everybody is so scared of time off. Even a day I see these posts about like freaking out about even missing like a day. And it's just so not big picture, you know, and I've taken in recent years, I've taken nine months off and eight months off literally in the last like three years. And for me, it's always the body comes first, your body, your mental health, everything like that comes first. Running's always second. So I'm never sticking to a schedule or to running if what I need is rest or if my plate can't handle running at the moment. And, you know, people are so scared of losing fitness. Um, and it's one, it takes a really long time to lose it. <laughs> it, especially like for the people panicking about missing just a couple days or even a week. And, um, and then two, if you've built something, it's all there, you know? And so when you come back to it, it comes back quicker. Um, you know, so you don't have to fear it, you know, it's just part of the journey and, um, it's, it comes back a lot quicker than most people think, but especially for, if you're taking off a week for illness, it's, I promise it's not the end of the world and you want to take the full downtime your body needs or is asking or requiring because if you don't and you start back too soon, you're just, it's, you're going to land yourself in worse issues. You know, I think, uh, personally in, um, my 2018 season, which was my, you know, a most amazing performance season, I was just so excited by my times, by how much fitter I was getting every single workout that when I got sick, um, in the season, I just got like a cold, but when I got sick in the season, I was trying to fast track my recovery and getting back into it and just only shifting those big, big workouts by a day, you know, giving myself just one more day when I probably should have just totally skipped them for a couple weeks or even a week or two and just run easy or just total rest. But because I kept trying to keep the season together and kept trying to hang on to these big workouts, I did complete all of my big workouts, all my big long runs. And the race just was horrible, you know, because I was trying so focused on the season and so focused on my schedule that I missed the big picture of my body needing to be at its best for my ability to race a marathon. You cannot ever 
fake or cheat a marathon. You cannot, you cannot fake it. That's, that's like the one race that you cannot fake. So if you're not like at a hundred percent, it will expose you in those 26.2 miles. You'll be totally exposed and you'll be like, I needed to be here at the starting line healthy. That's a, yeah, a big one. And you know, the athletes I work with one-on-one then they text me like, Hey, I got sick. And I'm like, let's shut it down. Shut it all the way down. You know, I would so much rather somebody miss a workout rather than risk us returning too soon. Cause your body, when it's focused on recovering from this illness, it can't gain fitness at the same time. Like it's so focused on repairing. It can't build additional. It's saying like you you're trying to build another level level on your house, but like you're fixing the foundation at the same time. Like you can't do both simultaneously. So giving yourself the grace, whatever the illness is, especially with COVID. I mean, people are still getting COVID. You know, you have to take that time off. You may lose a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of fitness if you take a couple of weeks off, but you need to because you're sick. That's just how the dice roll sometimes. And it sucks, but that's life. Please take the time off. Please. I mean, it's in in the big picture of the thing. Like you can make something that should be small. You can make it into a very big thing because you don't take the time off. For me, because I my immune system was already so low. And then I piled on these, the biggest workouts of my life. I piled it onto them. I was like sick for like a year or two. Like I, my body could not get out of it. And, and it caused other health issues, other hormonal issues. So for me, I'm just like, shut it down. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. It, worse comes to worse. You feel like I'm not prepared for this marathon. There are other marathons. Let's just, let's shift our focus. Let's find a different race. But you never compromise your body for a race. You never compromise your body for a race because we're big picture here. We're trying to be doing this until we're a hundred <laughs> and trying to win age groups at a hundred. Just kidding. But we're trying to do this for a really long time. And I mean, you're compromising your health, you know, and that's just for somebody who's sick. Injury is obviously a different one, but I mean, same thing. I see people, you know, thinking that to run injured is they're such a badass, you know, we finished the race and I broke a femur or something like that. It's like, okay, why are we doing this? You know, um, it's not the message we want to be putting out there, running through things, having streaks through injury. You know, that's not, this is, that's not running, running injured, running, not at your hundred percent is not what running should be. And, and we, we can't be so obsessive with it that we miss that our bodies are still number one. I think a lot of that comes from, you know, cause I, I did a run streak for two and a half years a while back. And I think now from the benefit of hindsight and all the knowledge I have gained to think, wow, that was really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I ran through, I mean, thank goodness I only had like minor kind of injuries pop up. Like I ran through them. I ran through food poisoning. I ran in a thunderstorm. Yeah. <laughs> I ran on like one hour of sleep after traveling. Like I just did stupid, stupid things. Yeah. And to think that I may have actually been sabotaging my long-term development through like this weird like adhering to this thing that I thought was making me faster. But I realized I was doing this out of, out of the sense of like we were talking about earlier, back when I was in my twenties and like trying to make some sort of exercise routine stick, I thought that if I didn't do it every day, it would just slip away somehow. It would just be gone forever. Yeah. And so in, in, at the time it made sense to do that. Like I couldn't trust myself to continue running while also taking rest days. That was a really anxiety ridden place for me to be. Totally. I think that, you know, obviously running well takes a really mature perspective. It, It takes a lot of emotional maturity and restraint And I think being a runner and saying, I'm going to be doing this for the long haul. Like I don't have to run every day and 
to know that I'll still be running 10 years from now, you know, and just the longer you're doing this, and especially as you, because we're all aging as we're doing this longer, right? And it's just so important that we take care of our bodies during it or else we won't be doing it for long, you know, like that's the last thing we want runners to end up with because they just either burn themselves out or they're so injured and they just, I mean, you can hear people rattling off the list of injuries they're dealing with. I mean, it gets, it gets bad, but um, we want people to be doing this for a long time. So we have to make it sustainable. And I understand, you know, the consistency behind run streaks, but, and, and, and so long as you're healthy, great. You know, I, you know, if that's what works for you and that's what gets you excited, wonderful. But it's just concerning when people just hold on to something so much that because they are afraid to lose it and then, then they do lose it, but majorly, you know, and not by choice. And that's not what we want, you know? Let's talk about taking planned time off because we talk about the natural ebb and flow of your fitness. That's normal to build up to a peak and then you need to recover. Um, People tend to hop, not everybody, but I've seen a lot of runners will hop from big training cycle to big training cycle. They'll like train for back-to-back races with maybe a week of reduced running in between. Or cross-training. Or cross-training. You're like, well, I didn't run, but I was, you know, I did like, you know, an hour on the elliptical every day. I'm like, we just ran a marathon. You don't need to give yourself more time than that. Talk about the importance of taking that planned recovery after something like a big race or just because maybe you want to and it's time. Absolutely. So, you know, when I started running, you know, I, I got started back in 2012. I was totally into reading all the run bloggers and they, that was what, how I learned like a lot of things, but uh, you know, a, a not great thing that some of them did was basically as soon as the race was over the next morning, they're like, Oh, I got onto the treadmill this morning. So that's what I was doing literally the day after the marathon, I could barely walk. Everything is sore. And I'm like, like hobbling on the treadmill as if like, why, you know? And so that began, you know, my cycle of one, doing way too many races and then two, never allowing proper recovery, always trying to get back onto that treadmill. Oh my gosh, I ran our, the day after the race. Like as if that's um, like bragging right, right? And um, it wasn't until um, my husband and I went to London in 2015. I had I ran Boston at the beginning of that week and then London was at the end of that week. Um, this was when we had Boston and London in the spring, you know, the good old days. <laughs> um, so I had a horrible race at Boston. Um, I ran like 20 minutes slower than my PR at the time. And I was going for 10 minutes faster than my PR at the race. So I was 30 minutes spread slower than anticipated. It was a shock. Um, and so then we were at uh, London and um, we listened to Wilson Kipsang, who at the time was the world marathon record holder. And um, he said, after every single race, he takes two weeks off and then he does two weeks of unstructured only easy running before he'll ever go back to just consistent scheduled running with workouts. So that was a full month. And so my husband, Tyler, and I were like, I mean, this is his job. His job is performance oriented. You know, if he thought that getting back onto the treadmill to hobble the next morning was what's going to help him with his performance, which is his livelihood, he would be doing that. So if he and this is his career. This is how he makes his money. If he can take two full weeks, no, nothing, then like, why aren't we doing this? And it was just like a total light bulb moment for both of us because we just didn't have, I mean, that's what most of the pros will do. You know, they'll take two full weeks off and then two weeks of easy running, unstructured. You run when, and if you feel like it, the amount you want to run, just like 
make it fun again, you know, because at the end of marathon training, it goes so long and you're like, I have to get into the six miles today and I am not feeling it and I'm exhausted, you know? So you want running to feel light again and playful. And so that's the point of doing the unstructured running and also to be running off a feel since your body's still recovering and healing and you don't want to be pushing it too hard yet. So, um, so for us, that was really helpful to like learn this concept that these are what the pros are doing. And so, um, we started doing that after that. We are just like, oh, of course we take two weeks off and then we take two weeks easy. Um, so for us, that became what we did. Another example, um, before my best season, um, I had an awesome summer season. Like I was just like blowing every workout out of the water, like just amazing. And my coach says, before we started marathon training, I, you know, do you want to take a week down or like a week off? And, you know, so that way you feel ready to start the marathon season. I was like, no, I'm wanting to keep building, building, building. And, um, and he was like, okay, you know, it might be good to take like some downtime just so your body can rest and come back stronger. And I was just like, I, I think I'm good. Like, I just want to keep building. And it's like, it's, you know, when you're so excited and also not as knowledgeable on everything, you can feel like if you like take, if you pull back at all, that you're going to lose everything instead of realizing that the rest is what helps all that work to work. And then you just come back stronger. Maybe the first week back after like a week down in between seasons, you'll be like a little bit rusty, you know, but I mean, it comes back within days. Uh, But if I had taken that rest, there's a possibility that when I got sick, I wouldn't have gotten so sick and just ruined the rest of my season. So, you know, taking, even if you don't run a marathon, it's also important to just take mental, physical, um, everything, that type of break in between just so that way you're ready because marathon training takes everything. Yeah. It's like, we want to capitalize on what we're currently experiencing and just kind of ride that train. Yeah. Does the train, yeah. there is an end to the track. You know, we can't ride that train forever, yeah. but I love, I love what you're bringing up about what the pro runners do. Cause there are situations in which, you know, we say you are not a pro, you know, the listeners of this podcast, we're all <laughs> recreational runners here. We have big goals, but you know, we're not a top, you know, a top of podium. <laughs> we don't make our money on yeah. breaking the tape. Um, but seeing what the best in the world do and how they prioritize post-race recovery and taking off seasons, you know, Kipchoge takes weeks off after his big races. Des Linden took like a whole summer off once yeah. recently totally. and came back stronger. So, you know, it's, it's in some cases, not only preferable, but necessary to take that time off. And if you don't take the time off, the time off will take you. Absolutely. And longer and longer. You'll wish it was two weeks, you know? Yeah. You know, like I wish I'd taken that, that week off in between seasons because now I'm dealing with, I mean, I think back to my first marathon, I was the next day shuffling around my neighborhood, like barely able to walk up and down stairs because somebody told me that the best thing to do after a race was to go for a run Yeah, to recover. It's very much a recreational runner thing to be like, I'm either immediately going to get back onto the treadmill or like outside shuffling around, or I'm going to just cross train myself. Oh, I'm not running, but like, and it's like, give your body rest. Everybody's so afraid of rest. It's, it's wild. It's, that is like the craziest phenomenon that is so pervasive in the running community is just a total fear of rest. One of the things that in you just alluded to this too, taking a week off, couple of weeks off, things might feel a little rusty when you get back. A lot of people interpret that as that their fitness is in the toilet. And we obviously know that it takes a long time to actually lose real fitness, yeah. like a long time. But um, what 
like what are some of the ways that we can mentally and emotionally cope with our fitness feeling like it's in a different place than we wish that it were? Yeah, I mean, that's totally normal for us to feel a little bit rusty when we come back. But I think it's important to know, like fitness comes and goes. You can never hold on to peak fitness eternally. That's just not possible. You know, we're not machines, but you have to just have a really mature approach to running and just say, hey, look, this was what I needed to do for whatever reason. It's going to come back really quickly. And as it's coming back, I'm not going to beat myself up about whatever paces I am running. If you're focused on effort anyways, it does not matter what your paces are because you're still getting in that work. And so then as your body acclimates to everything, then that work still worked for you and still is progressing you, but the paces might just look a little bit different. And that's also a really good strategy for anybody who lives in a place with big seasons or hot summers. Because if you're defining your fitness by specific paces and then July rolls around and you're slower than you want to be, that's like, you're going to be really bummed when guess what? It's 90 degrees outside. You're not, you cannot be as fast in that weather as you are when it's 45 degrees and overcast. Totally. And I mean, there's like 500 reasons why your run and paces could look different. And so I think just having like a really like open mind, open hand with running and just saying, I'm focused on the effort when I go out there and not just obsessive over paces. I feel like being obsessive over paces is more a newer runner type of, not, not even newer runner. It's maybe the normal runner type of thing to do, but the smart runner is focused on the right effort for each day because the right effort always is like on point. Something that I talk about a lot. I know you talk about a lot. Hopefully other people are starting to clue in that how important this is, is how important easy running is to your training. Like if, if I want everybody to learn anything, it's that you probably need to slow way down on your easy days and you probably need to run more easy than you're currently doing. More of your run should be in your easy effort zone, unless you're a sprinter, then ignore what I'm saying. Um, but this is a really challenging concept for people because when we're, when we're focused on running in our easy effort zone, it can be very slow slower than we quote unquote want it to be. And for some people it's uncomfortably slow. Like they have thoughts and feelings assigned to the paces that they're running in their true easy effort zone. And sometimes it also includes run walk. And that's really frustrating for a lot of people. Now I talk about this so much about the importance of easy effort running and aerobic development and run walk and how to do it effectively. But like you also have lived experience in this, like I do, the magic that is easy effort running. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I came on to IG when posting your paces, especially for easy runs, was what everyone did. Now, not as many people do it, but, um, and you're seeing like seven minute pace for easy runs. And I'm going to say air quotes. Oh, I ran easy today. Oh, I mean, it's used <laughs> knock their Strava and their heart rate was one. So exactly. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. But so I just didn't post my paces ever for easy runs. And during this time I was running with, um, I was doing all my workouts with D one college, former college runners who are, you know, the fastest girls in San Diego. And I was like, I was in there. I was in the mix. I was somehow in the mix, hanging on, whatever I was there. <laughs> and, um, my easy days were like 10 to 12 minute pace on the treadmill. Just that's all I had those days because I, on the workout days, was just trying to stay in the mix. Um, and so for me then, it like wasn't a problem. I knew that those girls probably have built more fitness up over years. So they might be doing quicker, easy run paces than me, but I did all my easy runs alone. So it didn't matter. It gave me the time and, and 
and space to recover. And so I didn't care because on my workout days, I was flying and that's what I wanted. And, um, you know, I, 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 I did talk about this during that time, but even more so afterwards, I was, um, start, I decided, you know, sharing my easy pace is probably is relevant. I never thought it was because I'm like, who cares? It's easy pace. And I just go easy. Um, but then I realized that like so many people have hangups with what's truly easy for their body. I have athletes text me all the time and just say, oh, like this was my easy pace. And their marathon PR might be a couple hours slower than mine. And what they're running for easy is a couple minutes faster than I am running. I'm like, oh, like here, let me share what I'm doing for my easy paces because maybe it'll give you permission to, to feel okay with this. Like, it's not that bad. Who cares? It's an easy, it's an easy run. Like I do 13 minute easy runs and I post them because I think that that's helpful for people to like normalize. Like it's whatever works for your body on that day. And that's all that matters. That's all easy running is it's there's running faster for your easy runs. Isn't going to help you. And I think a lot of people to a point, yes, as your fitness grows, your easy effort pace range might also grow. You may have some days that are legitimately easy in a faster pace range than they used to be. But the goal of training is not to make your easy days faster. The goal of training is to become a faster runner when you race. Totally. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's just it. You know, obviously if you're not, you know, going as hard on your workout days, you could probably actually have faster, easy days. Um, at that same low heart rate, but you're not doing the work that's going to get you further. And so that's why, you know, I don't, I don't think everybody should go out there and run 13 minute pace. If that's what you need, of course do it. But like, just, you know, for so many people, we've, we've divorced ourselves from what actually is easy and told ourselves it's easy. So that's why heart rate is, can be helpful as accountability, you know, as a outside metric audit of what's actually going on internally. Because if we've been doing fast, easy runs, hard, easy runs for so long, then we're just totally not in touch with what our body needs. And um, so that's why, you know, the heart rate doesn't lie. You know, obviously, if your watch is off or whatever, it could lie. But uh, you know what I'm saying? So I think that it's helpful to try to, at least for a season, really focus on what your heart rate is so you can start getting back in touch with easy efforts for you and your body. So later, you don't even have to be looking at your watch because you know what feels easy and what doesn't feel easy. And I also want to stress if you are taking time off, like significant time off a couple months or longer, that when you come back to running, um, you want to focus more on rebuilding that volume and your easy effort zone first before you start diving into big hard workouts, because hard workouts are a lot on your body. Yes. And also, even when you're coming back, I mean, in the beginning, the, the first several runs, your heart rate will be higher. I mean, you're totally out of shape. You know, I took eight months off postpartum this time. Obviously, I'm completely out of shape, you know, and then it was summer and then I'm pushing a stroller. So my heart rate was a little bit higher, but I was like still trying to keep it. I was running slower. I was trying to keep it in an easier zone, but it does take your body some time to, you know, reacclimate and build that fitness. So in the beginning, you know, just focus on keeping the effort easy as your body gets gains that aerobic fitness again. So don't be alarmed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it will be hard in the beginning. Um, And that's okay. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people get really hung up on when we talk about easy running and low heart rate running and how important it is to have that be such a foundational part of your training is they'll say, but when I started running, I was doing everything in this moderate or hard intensity zone and I still got faster. And it's 
when you are coming from a place of like, when I started running, I couldn't run a mile. Yeah. Like I, I had absolutely no fitness. Sure. Right. And I was running everything too hard. But at that point where my fitness was literally anything would have worked. Like just because I was moving my body, I was gaining fitness. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that in the long term, that's simply just not a sustainable way to train. Yeah. And it puts you at higher risk for injury too. So if everybody's saying like, but I used to do it that way and it was fine. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, if you have, if you care at all about your performance, then you'll run easy. That's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. If you care about performance, if your goal is to get faster or just to maximize where you are, then you should run easy. And if your goal is to feel good running, you should be running easy on your easy days. It doesn't feel good to be constantly pushing yourself every day. Um, You know, that's, that's not good for your overall health either. It's bad hormonally. Mm Mm-hmm. So something else that I I hear from a lot of people is that when they take time off and they're rebuilding their fitness is that they struggle to believe that they're ever going to be able to return to where they were previously or even surpass that. Totally. How do we, how do we believe in ourselves? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to know, like you can do it. Like you have to really believe that and internalize that because there are hard days. Running is not like this super glamorous sport where people are cheering you on on every run and on all those hard moments. They're not, but you can do it. Like you are made for this. You are made to handle a comeback. Um, you know, and I think structuring the comeback in a way that you are celebrating each win along the way, you are finding things that you can say, oh my gosh, like that's a sign of improvement. I am improving. You know, it doesn't have to be huge because the little things add up. But, you know, I took off a significant amount of time with health issues back in like 2013. And um, in December of that year, I ended up being like, okay, I need to start running again. And so I just said, I'm, for the whole month of December, I'm going to run two miles a day, like at 12 minute pace. And so I did that for December. And I mean, I, I ran like a two hour, five minute half marathon that month. Um, and, but I just like knew you just focus on like the little things I can do to build now. And then in um, May of that next year, so a couple months later, I ran a 328 uh, Boston qualifier, you know, and, you know, so I went from a 205 to a Boston qualifier because I just, I just stayed focused. You know, I'm, I'm, I focused on December, just starting to rebuild the habit and starting to try to build aerobic fitness. And I didn't overextend myself and operate out of fear um, or insecurity with my running, I just said, Hey, like I'm totally out of shape. Like I'm not going to fake it and try to do more than, than what I'm capable of right now. But all I need to do is just get consistency back. You just build that consistency back and then the rest starts clicking, you know? And so it can click a lot faster than you think, but we can't let, um, like fear of, of how long it can take us, keep us from just staying focused on what we need to do now. And I think that really avoiding that comparison, I know it's really easy for us to say, like, just don't compare yourself to where you were before, but like, you really, really can't Yeah. because if all you're doing is telling yourself what you cannot do, how are you supposed to believe in what you can do? Absolutely. I mean, you, you have such big breakthroughs ahead and all it takes is you not giving up, you not letting every tough day be this like negative zone that you're playing in your head. You know, I am running as slow as I've ever run in my life. And like, like I'm running like three miles when I go out there. So I'm really not running a lot, but I'm like so confident in my potential. And that's how you have to be. And you have so much potential. Like all it takes is for you to get training consistently and for things to start clicking again. And they will, 
But if you're so discouraged for every run, it's going to affect you even wanting to get out there and run. You're just so discouraged from every run. You're not going to start seeing all the wins that you're making along the way. And those little things are like the lifelines you need to keep going so that you can get back to where you were because you can. And that's things like, um, you do have runs that not every run's going to feel this way, but some runs are like, oh yeah, my, that really felt easy. And most of my runs are don't really feel easy right now. Or I ran farther or I hit, you know, my faster split on this one surge or totally. whatever it is. Like you have to take the little wins. Absolutely. You have to. I would come back when I was pregnant. I remember I was like coming back from my runs. I'm like waddling out there and like my wins and it was like summer and I'm like huge. I'm like 40 weeks. And I'm like telling my husband, oh my gosh, I just did a 140 heart rate run. Like that's like a huge win, you know? And for me, I'm like, I'm fit, you know? And it's like 12 minute pace, but it doesn't matter because I saw that as like, hey, my body is like making it work. It's getting into fitness, you know? And so that's the things you have to look for. Oh my gosh, I did a great cadence today. You know, oh, I was able to run and it felt relaxed and easy. My heart rate was low. All those things are big wins, but like we're, we can be so focused on pace that we're missing all the things that things are coming together. And like all we're doing in the beginning is just building back a foundation, you know? And so we don't have to be focused on pace or anything like that. Just build the foundation. And then once you do, the other stuff will come. Um, and it comes, it comes very quickly. I mean, I think that, um, that we just worry that it'll take years and years and it, do it doesn't have to. And I think a lot, I'm oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think a lot of that comes with not overloading yourself when you're coming back. That's a huge one. I think when a lot of people come back, they think, well, I used to do this. So I'll just do basically the same thing. You know, not saying the fact that there are is a four month gap in between those two things. If you're thinking, well, I used to run 40 miles per week and then you took four months off. Yeah. You cannot start, you cannot be like, well, I'll run 10 miles, then 20 miles, then 40 miles. Like, no, we need to slowly build you back up. There are no shortcuts, yeah. but there are definitely like long ways around. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's a good way to put it. Like we can take the really, really long route to get there, or we can take the direct route. So it's your pick. <laughs> um, so, and this is the really tough thing too. And I, you know, talking to individual runners, this is such a, a highly individualized thing. Some people, depending on their base level of fitness and their genetic makeup and why they had to take time off in the first place, may be back to normal training within a couple months. But for some people, we're looking at months or maybe a year or longer to return. And you kind of never know what you're going to get until you're in it. And I think that's a something to be rec to recognize as well that if you are returning and you're not returning as fast as your friend or that person you saw on Instagram that's okay we all have different timelines and journeys absolutely i mean i'm a postpartum runner and my comeback is beyond slow it's like had many <laughs> setbacks along the way um and i see other postpartum runners who are like already doing marathons and crushing and doing amazing. And I'm like, I'm so happy for them. That's obviously not where I am right now. I, you know, I'm, you just have to say, I'm doing the best I can with where I am right now. And everybody has different things on their plate. You know, for me, I, I work full time. I, my, I also take care of my daughter full time and breastfeed and, and I'm not getting a ton of sleep at night. So I'm like, you're doing your best. Like, you know, that's all I can ask of myself in this season. And so my goal in this season is just to focus on what I can do. And that's just trying to rebuild my base. And I know that once I'm able to get a little bit more sleep and she's not waking up through the night or um, eventually once I'm not feeding her, that things might start clicking a little bit faster. But just to not worry, it will come, you know, but 
to be like very aware of everything that you have going on that could be effectors of it and not just say they're doing it. And, you know, they have a different life. They have a different history, you know, all these different things that affect what their comeback looks like. But, um, you know, and, and for some people, they're coming back too quick from injury or they're coming back too quick from illness and they're building up too fast. And so, you know, you don't need to compare with anybody because you just don't know what the full picture looks like there either. So just focus on, I think if we focus on our bodies and putting them first and just working with them, that we'll get to where we want to go, you know, and in the most direct route in the most, in the most quick way. That life stress component is so huge. And so many runners just like, I don't, don't recognize that this is true, that your training and what your body can handle for training doesn't happen independently of the rest of your life. Absolutely. You know, if you are super stressed all the time, if you have a lot on your plate, emotionally, family wise, job wise, that of course you will not be able to train the same as somebody who has zero responsibilities <laughs> outside of getting their run and then like, you know, clocking and clocking out of their job. They really don't care about Yeah, like, and you have to acknowledge that because not being so being blind to your, your reality is not going to help you be the best runner you can be Absolutely. acknowledging the truth of where you are whether even if that's in a place where you don't want to stay there forever that will only help you grow and develop into a better runner in the long term absolutely i mean it's yeah it's just being realistic about what you have on your plate and, and where you are. So that way you're not beating yourself up. You know, like I do not beat myself up for whatever I can, whatever miles I can get out there at whatever pace I can get out there. Cause I'm like every day that you get out there to win. And like, also running is more about more than about pace. Running is more than about your times and a goal race running from is for mental health too. Running is for enjoyment. And if we're just so focused on just one aspect of it, which is performance, 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 which is wonderful. Then we're also missing out on just like the holistic aspect of the sport. Let's talk about the word should for a minute. Okay. I'm sure that you get a lot of, I know you probably get probably more DMs than I do uh, on Instagram, but runners who are reaching out, asking for help, asking for reassurance or guidance. And I hear a lot from runners, you were asking like, well, I should have done this, or I should be doing this. Um, as in like the, you know, I'm not doing something right. Oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda, yeah. that kind of language. And I read um, a post recently from a performance psychologist basically saying that you need to eliminate the word should from your vocabulary when you are a performance athlete. Yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah, And it's getting these kinds of messages from people. Like I can just feel... I can feel their sadness and they're like self, you know, they're so uncomfortable with their choices or decisions. Like, I just want to reach through and give them a hug. Be like, you don't have to, it's okay. Like you no. should eliminate that word should completely. No, you, you shouldn't have, it's okay. Totally. I mean, that's, you know, that's the unfortunate part of, you know, us all really focusing on pace and times, which are wonderful, but they're only a part of the equation. And, um, you know, I think, if we focus on putting our body first and making sure that we are taking care of it in every way that we'll get there, you know, we will get there, but, but to force things should is like a forcing you're trying to make something happen, fit it in where it's not fitting, where it's, you know, you can't force running in that way. I mean, you can, but you won't end up with your best running. And I think just 
being more aware and taking a more holistic approach to your running is what's going to have you getting to those better performances quicker, is going to have you um, in a really sustainable, like emotionally and mentally, mentally sustainable journey, and also have you running lo- like for the long haul. So yeah, I think it's important to let go of that. Let's talk about, because I'm a huge believer in the holistic listen to your body. You know, everybody's different, but I feel like a lot of people ignore their bodies or sometimes ignore little signs and big signs about your body's like, hey, I need help. Like something's not right. And whether it's continuing to run through recurring injury or even bigger signs, what are some of the big red flags that you would say are, hey, runner, you need to back off and maybe give yourself some downtime because something's not right. Totally. So overtraining wise, because there's obviously overtraining and then there's injury. Overtraining wise, your heart rate's very high. When your resting heart rate while you sleep, um, you know, is high. And you're, it's, it looks like you had just finished a workout or a marathon that day, but it's like that even on easy recovery days. Um, on easy recovery days, it feels hard and you're trying to push to make it happen even at, you know, in more relaxed paces for you. Um, it looks like getting sicker a lot quicker or it lasting longer. It looks like decreased motivation. You're like not wanting to do it. You're not excited about it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it looks like you not able to perform workouts that you should be able to for, perform and that are in your wheelhouse. So that's overtraining. Um, and so if any of those are happening, um, you know, just pulling back. With overtraining, I have so many. I'm like the expert on overtraining. Um, I'm sure you can announce me as that, <laughs> but I have way too much experience with overtraining. But if you are experiencing any of those um, signs that I just said, pull back, pull back, take a couple days off. You know, if you have a coach, talk to your coach. Be very, very detailed about what's going on with you. I think the worst thing for people to do with coaching is to not be communicative. If you're not communicative, nobody can help you. But so many of us are like martyrs and we're like, our coach is our leader and what they say goes and, and I have to perform for them. You're not performing for a coach. You're not performing for a coach, you know? So I think making sure that you, like you're performing for your body and making sure that your body is okay and you're letting your coach know, hey, this is what's going on. Actually, like I haven't been sleeping well. My heart rate's really high. So your coach can intervene and say, hey, we need to, we need to pull back. Or if you're running by yourself and not with a coach, if you're experiencing those signs, take a couple days off. Yeah, I promise it won't help hurt anything. It will only help you. And if you don't, you'll be taking a lot longer off. And then for injury, you know, if you're feeling things and they are not improving, I mean, you, you have to pull back, figure out what's going on and get to the root of it and try to solve it because running through things usually doesn't end us up in a good spot. I think one of the most pernicious things about overtraining is that when, when we start down the overtraining path, it feels like all we need to do to fix what's going on is to train harder. I know. Like, oh, that that run, that workout was really hard. I didn't quite hit the paces I was trying to hit. I'll just try harder next time. And you do that workout again and maybe you make it more. And then you try to hit a higher pace. And then yeah. and then you were like sliding down even further. And then you're struggling to recover. And the next day you're really sore. And you're never sore after runs. That's super weird. And then you struggle in your long run. And yeah. then it's just this cycle. And if you can catch it early you might just need to take a couple days off. But yeah. if you keep going down this slide, you are going to end up in a really dark place yeah. that like medical, the like overtraining syndrome, like the medical definition of it is a whole body, like systemic, hormonal, yeah. endocrinological, like it is a nasty place to be. You do not want to end up with clinically diagnosed overtraining syndrome. 
1000%. I mean, and I've been there and it, it is so hard because you are overtrained. You go into a race, you perform poorly. And then you are like, you're having an identity crisis. Oh my God, I have to sign up for another race because I'm, I, I can run faster than that. So now you sign up for another race because now you're trying to prove something. And then you just keep going further into this hole. It's like quicksand that you're trying to get out of and you're just going down further. And that's why, like, if you are overtrained, just take time off until you feel good again. Like, don't, don't like say, I'm going to take one week off. No, just like, especially if it's like actual overtraining. And don't put a time limit on and just, just listen to your body, you know, because you'll never get back to a place where you can have your aerobic fitness in the right place where you can continue building off of until you heal. Like you will never, you can't do it until you take that time off and heal. You have to pay the piper. You know, if you don't pay the piper during your season, giving it the rest it needs to keep up with your workload, then you will pay for it with a very, very long time out, which I've done several times now because, you know, it took me a while to learn my lesson, but now I just, I get it. And so training is so simple once you get it, once you get that, like, Hey, rest, if I am not resting and if things are not clicking for training, you better pull back because if you don't, you're, you'll pay for it later. Something that that runners who ran in school have the benefit of that recreational adult runners who started running as adults don't have is that when you start running young in the system, you get an off season, like you, your seasons, and you've mentioned seasons a couple of times during the conversation and seasons can simply mean training cycle or season of life. You know, there's really no time limit or definition on this, but when you're, when you're a a student runner, a student athlete, you literally have seasons. You have your cross country season, you have your indoor season, you have your outdoor season, and then you have summer. And you get a built-in break or off-season a couple times a year. But for adult runners, we don't have the structure of that experience of being like learning to take time off. Um, Generally speaking, because of course, everybody's a little bit different. How how many race, how many big races do you recommend that runners try to run per year? I mean, I'm where, yeah. And where do they put their off-season in relation to those races? Yeah, I'm not fun at all, you know, um, because I would say <laughs> do one marathon max a year. I mean, there's really a marathon takes everything physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of your time and to, to really dedicate into that season. Like when I am marathon training, you know, it's just like, you know, maybe a 12 week block, but I'll like not want to schedule um, like vacations or anything like that because, you know, it's just for a, a short period and I'm like a monk during that time. And, you know, I think we can all get so excited about marathons and people are just trying to do marathon after marathon and that can break down your health after a while. Um, especially if you're racing them, it can be just really hard on your body. And since I've like my first year of running in the first 10 months, I did three marathons along with a slew of other races. If there was a race that weekend, I did it. Um, and that was in the first 10 months of being active after 10 years of inactivity. So that was like very tough on my body, you know, to run three marathons, um, and go through three cycles. My, third marathon of that year, I was doing 70 mile weeks and I had just started running. I had just started being active. I didn't even like, I didn't do a single thing before those 10 years. I didn't go take a class. I did did nothing. So I went from like couch, laying on the couch to 70 mile weeks within 10 months. And it's just like, and and three marathons, it's ridiculous, you know, but, um, I think to run a really great marathon, um, you need to have those seasons within that year to build up to it. You're building speed and fitness and strength and all those things will make it so it's a much better marathon. I mean, you can run, you could run 
three marathons a year. You can run four marathons a year, but you're not going to have your best quality of a marathon be, be that if you're overdoing the marathons because marathons take so much out of you and then take so much recovery after the fact. And that's, I mean, when I tell people, and again, that should be like, well, everybody else is running three marathons a year. And like, when I tell you honestly, as a coach that running what I call back-to-back marathons, which is two marathons a year is a big challenge. I mean it Yeah. to get to, to ring the peak performance out of your body twice in six months over a distance, like 26.2 or even 13.1. That's a lot. Can you do more races than that? Yes. Is it sustainable? Maybe not. And I would even say like in the long term, if you do want to run two marathons in a year and get peak performance out of both of them, maybe the next year you don't run a marathon. Maybe the next year you take for shorter distances, like talking about putting, parceling out your seasons of running long-term, like look a couple years ahead. What do you have scheduled? Where are you going to be living? Where are your kids going to be? What's your job look like? Do you have more time then or now? So, you know, it makes sense to like, you deserve to get the best out of your body, but you have to do a little planning to make that happen. Totally. And then have self-restraint too, you know, because the doing the most doesn't get you the best. That's like, it's very simple. And, you know, before when I didn't understand as much about training and my body and the workload and just making sure I'm pulling back, making sure I'm focusing on speed for some seasons, when I didn't understand that, I'm just like, how many of these can I fit in so I can see if I can PR just a little bit more? So I'm like, just trying to take off one minute off each one or something like that. Now I'm looking at it from a bigger picture saying, let's get fast and let's just focus on speed. Let's build speed, build speed, build speed. I'm going to do one marathon a year, but I'm going to like make it a good one. Like it's, I'm going to chop time off, you know? And like, if you're a lot more bigger picture, then you can make bigger strides. And I will also say, you know, we talked about, you know, normalizing, taking time off and taking time off when you need it and staging an appropriate comeback and keeping the faith and believing in yourself and all of that. But I will say that long-term, if you can stay running consistently, you will likely have better outcomes. So if you're in a place where you're keep, you're requiring, you like are forcing yourself to take time off and look, life happens, right? Kids happen, jobs happen, all these things happen. But more often than not, if we can be more consistent with our training over the long term, we're going to end up in a better place. So you don't feel like you're restarting. You know, I feel, I see this a lot with people who they'll train for a race super hard, go balls deep, totally burn out, not run for four months because they're totally burned out. And then every single time they train for a race, they're basically starting from ground zero. And like, that's no way to make long-term progress. Totally. My husband told me this years ago, you know, he went from a four hour, 10 minute marathon to a 218 marathon. And so obviously along the way he's, he's having different people that were like training partners or like in the same um, like t- time and level of runner that he was, you know, going from four hours to two hour to 18. And what he told me was like, I mean, I'm like passing all these people because I'm just staying consistent, you know, and you're able to breed that consistency if you take a much more holistic approach to running. So if you're not getting injured because you're going too hard or overtraining, you know, if you can just stick with it, you'll just keep going. But if you're and, and an arrest is part of being able to stick with it and being able to like be a smarter runner and say, Hey, if I just pull back a little bit here, I can keep going, you know? And so for, he told me that, and that was like really powerful to me because 
he literally had just like skipped through all these different levels and it was just because he just stayed with it. He just, you're doing the same workouts with the same type of effort, but now the paces are faster each time because you're building on this, you know, amazing structure now. That's such a good point that your season over season training may not change, but your fitness level will. Yeah. So, you know, and I had people ask me like, you know, I just did this. Oh, I trained with this training plan for this race. What should I do next? And I'm like, well, did you like that volume? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, it's a, you know, decent volume plan. Let's do it again. Yeah. Just do it again. Do the exact same thing again, because you're fitter. You're in a different place physically, emotionally. The plan will still work because you are going through all of that training again. You don't need to continue to level up. And it's so funny. You said, you know, you went from zero to 70 miles per week in 10 months. And I also went, I went from couch to marathon in six months and then like kept running. Um, and and I was running like 40, 50 miles per week. And it's thinking back on it now, it's shocking that that was uh, that it was like my body could sustain that, yeah. but also that I was in that place. And I'm sure you were too, that you just thought that all you needed to do was do more and more and more and more. And everybody has a tipping point yeah. where more is not better. It's just more. And eventually it'll be detrimental to do more. Yeah. You know, um, after I overtrained heavily where I ran 30 minutes slower than my goal time, um, I was like, you're a mess. Um, we need to set some boundaries here because at that point I had been doing 80 miles a week, running every single day, seven days a week, doubles. I was just, and I was doing two strength classes a day. I mean, I just like, I was just like, this got you here. So if I want to go here, I need to do all these other things. And so I went nuts. And so then I put myself on time out after I'd taken a long break. I probably took a month off after that overtraining stint. And it was like, you are, we are now setting boundaries here. You can only run five times a week. And so instead of 14 times a week, I went down to five, you know? Um, And so then that, you know, impatience finally got me out of overtraining. It literally took like a year or so, a year, a year and a half maybe. But so then my running started improving and I started getting faster and it was going great. And so I had the moment where I said, do I add back in those runs, you know, like go to seven days a week again? not 14 runs necessarily, but like I'm at five days, like I'm taking two rest days right now. And I'm like, it's working. Whatever you're doing is working. You don't need to change it. And so for me, I found with the load I carry in my life that two rest days work perfectly. And in our training plans, I do two rest days because it's not about making things so that the most fit person with the most clear schedule can handle. It's like the lowest denominator, like what can anyone handle, you know? And so if, if it's going to help somebody like who has so much on their plate, two rest days is going to help the athlete who has a lot more time, a lot more sleep, everything like that explode even more, you know? So like more like rest doesn't hurt us at all. It just propels us and just shifting that way of thinking. And then once I got better, not having to think, oh my goodness, um, like I need to go back to where I was, where I was when I ran 30 minutes slower at Boston. You know, like, no, I don't need to go back there. I, I was already there. I knew what got me there. I was resolute that I was not going to put myself back there. And so for a lot of us runners, we're very like intense, very type A, very like I have to do the most. And I had to realize that doing the most got me the worst. And I had to change that. Kim, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I know that um, you're such a a big star in the running community and you are providing inspiration and and education to so many runners. I want to ask you, what are you most excited about in this next phase of your running? 
I am excited about getting back to fitness and getting, you know, seeing things come together and click again. I mean, I, I think it's so exciting to see fitness building and I'm able to look at it through that lens instead of looking at it like, oh my goodness, you're so much slower than you were before, or you couldn't do this that you were able to do before. I'm just like, every little thing I'm able to do gets me excited. And it's like, it like makes my day, you know? So getting out and being able to do a run because I can look at the last couple of years and what I've had to overcome and just be like really excited and proud of myself and not beat myself up that I'm, you know, slower than I was several years ago at my peak. I can just say, oh my gosh, you're getting back there. Like you're, you're, you're one step closer. And so for me, like just getting back into workouts again, um, I had been doing some this summer and then everybody got sick. My daughter, me, everybody got sick. And so then that, then I have to, you have to get better after you get sick and your heart rate's a little bit higher. So you just don't want to overload your body if you are being sick. Um, and so just being smart about that, especially cause I'm running on like hours of sleep every night. Um, but yeah, so I'm just excited to get back to speed workouts. I love it. I think they're like so much fun. So it's going to be fun to see how things build. <laughs> Well, if anybody's not following Kim at Track Club, babe, you are missing out. She has the best. You have mastered the real. Oh my god! I, I have to admit, yeah, <laughs> I'm like I could never like I I barely I'm like dim like I don't want to do reels. I don't want to be on camera, but Kim will be on camera. Go go follow her. Oh because I I don't even know what I'm doing over there, but I'm doing something. I'm like. And nowadays you have to be a video editor, like a videographer. I mean, it is, you are wearing like, you have to wear all these hats, you know, on social media. So it's, it's, um, it's fun though. It's a lot. Thank well, you. it's fantastic. And are you also, so are you, what else do you offer? I know obviously all the free content you have on Instagram and you have training available too, right? Yes. So we, our training plans were born out of me learning a lot from my overtraining. So after I stopped overtraining, I thought, oh my goodness, like, what if I just got faster at the really short stuff? I had started running as a marathon runner. Like I ran a marathon two months after I started running and I had never developed speed. And I was like, all the professional runners, they all start with, um, you know, the really short distances. Um, like in high school, the longest distance you'll be running, you know, is either the 3,200 or like a 5K or less if you're a girl in cross country. And so they're not doing 26 miles within like a month of starting to run. And so many of us, you know, adult runners, we start and we're just, um, we're, we're instantly hooked on the long stuff. And then we love it so much and we want to get faster, but we're still just approaching it from the longer distances. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on getting faster. And then I did. And my, the next marathon I ran was, um, 30 minutes faster than the previous three, because I just focused for eight months on just speed. So it was just like a dramatic improvement. And, um, so that's how we created our fast fall, which is a speed training program. And then we have other programs beyond that, but it's such a game changer if you're like plateaued and like, I don't know what to do, but you know, so many of us adult runners were just hooked on the marathon, but it's really nice to take seasons to focus on the shorter stuff. Cause it just makes you a much stronger marathon runner. I just want to emphasize what Kim said. She just said she spent eight months working on speed yeah. so for everybody who's saying, but like, but I did, I did that for like three weeks. No. I'm good now. Right. We are, we are playing the long game yeah. here, people. And it's really fun. Like you're, if you've been marathon training for forever, you're like, oh my goodness, these legs can move. I've been marathon training for feels like forever this year. And I am so excited to race this and take oh. some time off and then maybe do some speed work because yeah, 
I'm, I have not run fast, like really fast totally. in a while and I feel it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, when you go back to speed, it feels like play again. And a lot of us need to have running feel like play again. You know, like we should feel like light and happy when we're doing it. And it is tough because at the end of a marathon season, you're just like, I am ready to birth this marathon. <laughs> I am ready to just, at this point, what it is, it is. And I'm just ready to do it. Cause it's just, I mean, it's a marathon training can be really long and grueling, but um, yeah. So it's good to have speed refresh. And for me, I did, I think eight months of speed. And I think I just did like a 10 week marathon build, but like that speed, like did all the work for me, you know? And then from there, from marathon training is just about building strength because whatever speed you have going into marathon training, you're pretty much just locking it in, but trying to hold it for 26 miles, you know? Um, and so, and that's people ask me, they're like, what speed work should I do? When, sh where in my marathon training do I develop my speed? And I say, you do it before your marathon training. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're just like building strength to hold it for 26 miles. So you're entering marathon training with the speed you have and just learning how to extend it. But um, that's why if all you're doing is marathon training on marathon training, you're not going to make big improvements because how can you if you're just always on the long distances? So that's why it's helpful to just take a step back, do some speed, and then you'll just like chop time off, which I love, you know, like a big chop in your PRs. Who doesn't love a giant double digit PR? <laughs> yeah. It's, why can't we have them every day? So, right? yeah, it's and, and that's how the pros all change, you know? So I think for, uh, we can take some things from the pros, right? We can take how they prioritize rest, you know, and how they all have developed speed first. Every single Kipchoge, I mean, was like, um, I, I think he won like gold medals in the shorter distance races. And um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he has, so I'll have to look it up later. But well, And even the, the winner of the, the women's winner of the Berlin Marathon, she was an 800 meter runner until like, like as recently as a couple years ago, absolutely, she was an 800 meter medalist, and now she's like a 215 marathoner. Oh um, my! And and Galen Rupp, you know, he, um, what I think he got the silver, the bronze in the 10k, you know, and I think he did the 5k before. So, it, the best runners have already mastered the short distances. So if if your short distances aren't strong, then it's going to be a lot harder to run what you want to run in the marathon. I want to confirm. Yes. Kipchoge <laughs> <Good>. has <laughs> Olympic medals in the 5,000 meters from, so he won bronze at Athens. He won silver in Beijing. And then he has a bunch of medals from worlds in the 5,000 meter. Okay. And then like a whole absolute crap load of marathon world records. <laughs> I'm very happy that you confirmed this. So I don't sound totally insane. So the world marathon record holder was uh, was the best in the short stuff first. And that's, and, and they don't ever switch to the marathon until they have mastered the short stuff and are already winners in the short stuff. So be a winner in the short stuff first. And you're going to see like huge, huge rewards in the marathon. And maybe as you're staging your comeback, you are focusing more on that shorter stuff first before you jump all the way back into the deep waters of big volume. Absolutely. And then it's also like fun too, because you're like, Oh, I've never really raced miles. I've never really raced five K's. Like and that's also a nice thing because if you're just so focused on marathons, only doing that and only comparing to your past longer races, then you don't, you haven't really developed the shorter stuff and then everything does feel like a new win. So it's another way to keep your mind like in a good spot with your comeback. Kim, this was so much fun. Thank you for coming and joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so happy to be here and it was a great combo. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.